0: Revelation chapter 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 14 where we left off. We're going to look at the church of Laodicea today. And by way of introduction to this church, I'm reminded of a story that Hans Christian Andersen wrote back in 1837. You may have read it uh, in school. I certainly did. I think we read this in kindergarten or first grade. Uh, I remember the story. is about a king who was obsessed with fashion. This guy, you know, he put Britney Spears to shame. He had multiple costume changes all throughout the day, you know. And um, just always a different outfit, always for a different occasion. He was totally into it, always looking for the latest, most exotic thing and the most exotic clothing he could wear. <coughs> and so there's a couple of con men that come into town. They see an opportunity. And, uh, and so they decide that they're going to market their new exotic clothes They say, hey, it's made out of this special thread, and the unique thing about this thread is that if you're ignorant, if you're stupid, if you are unfit for your position, you won't be able to see it. And it's only the people that are sharp, that are smart, that can really see our thread. Well, the king falls for it, hook, line, and sinker. He's like, I want a pair of clothes made out of this special thread. And so they get right to work, and... And so as they're working on this and getting paid an exorbitant amount of money to do this, they're really not working on anything. It's thin air that they're weaving, um, but nobody else knows that. So the king, he wants to know, hey, what's the progress on this? Send some of his high officials. Go check it out. Go look at my new set of clothes as they're making them. And they go there, and of course, they see nothing because there's nothing there, but they don't want to be perceived as stupid or ignorant. And so they say, oh, those are the most beautiful things we've ever seen. And so the day comes and the king is supposed to put on his new set of clothes. Now the king's freaking out because he can't see a thing because there ain't nothing there. But he's, well, I'm the king. And so, you know, oh, they're amazing. And so the king puts on his new set of clothes, and they have a big parade, and he goes out. And by this time, the, the word's gotten out in the community. It's like, hey, you know, if, you, if you're smart, you'll see him, and if you're stupid, you won't. Well, everybody's like, oh, they're amazing, they're amazing. And one kid finally steps up, and he's like, he's naked. The king, the emperor has no clothes, man. And this is what's happening here today. Jesus, speaking to the church of Laodicea, as we're going to see, he's stepping up, and he's like, look, not only are you naked, But you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, and you're blind as well. Now, the warning for the church of Laodicea is very significant and important for us, for you and me. And here's why. Because, you know, in the illustration I gave you, the emperor knew that he couldn't see anything and he was faking it and and all. The Laodiceans, they don't realize they're naked. They think they're amazing. They're like a contestant on American Idol. You ever see the contestant shows up, thinks they're amazing, and everybody else didn't get the memo? They're like, you are horrible, you know? And then they're shocked when the, when the judges, you know, vote them off. They're all incredulous. Like, you know, their mom told them they, they were a snowflake from the time they were two, you know? And so they think they're amazing, and they really aren't. And so the thing here about the Church of Laodicea, and we have to take to heart, is that they think they're all that, they think they're amazing. God, the righteous judge, knows different, and uh, this is where we need to take heed. Because the Bible says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So Lord, give us ears to hear what you'd say to us in your word today. Revelation chapter 3, we pick it up in verse 14, and it it reads, "To to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works... That you're neither cold nor hot, I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say, I am rich, I've become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked." Laodicea, the city, was located in the Lycus Valley. It was about 100 miles east of Ephesus, and they were rich. It was a really wealthy city, they had a, 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 a great banking center that made money hand over fist. They had a huge textile industry. They exported uh, a unique blend of wool that was a fine black wool that they had from black sheeps. And, and they would export that and made a lot of money on that. And they also had a school of medicine that was world-renowned. And the reason it was world, world-renowned was because they had this eye salve that they had come up with, this concoction, that they made available in tablet form. (coughs) People would buy the tablets, mix it with some water, and then they would put it on their eyes. And it was purported to solve all sorts of eye uh, problems. And and so they were making money hand over fist from this whole setup, from all of these three industries, banking and garments and eye salve. And, um, And because they were so rich, they were very proud people. This, this is illustrated in one historical event. In 60 AD, they had a huge earthquake. This area of Turkey has prone to a lot of, ter- of earthquakes, even to this day. They had a huge earthquake, destroyed a bunch of their buildings. R- Rome said, hey, we'll, we'll send you some money. And they said, we're good. Don't send us anything. We don't want any money. We'll pay for it ourselves. Rich, wealthy, pride, prideful. And, and this same attitude permeated the church of Laodicea. Notice again there in verse 17, what Jesus says to him. He says, you make me sick, essentially, because you say I'm rich, I'm wealthy, and I have need of nothing. One of the most dangerous places that we can get to as Christians is where we don't recognize our absolute need for God, our absolute dependence upon God. God. Jesus speaking to his disciples in John's gospel, he said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I am him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. It's not, not without me, you can do a few things. Not without me, you can do a couple of things. Not without me, you can do nothing. Not a zilp, zitch, not a. And so, and Jesus says, What's the cure? Hey, you gotta abide in me. And in this section of John's gospel, he uses that word abide about 10 times in this one small section. And the word literally means to remain, to stay, and to live. And it has to do with regard to place, with regard to time, and with regard to our state or condition. In other words, the idea is that it's only when we recognize that we are absolutely dependent upon God wherever we go, whenever we go, and in whatever situation or circumstance that we find ourselves in, then that dependence upon God, that's when we'll bear much fruit. But apart from that, listen, we're not going to bear fruit. We can do nothing. Which, by the way, this is why I named this church Reliance Church. When we started this church, there's four of us in my living room. We ain't got two nickels to rub together. It's not like we had, you know, some big, you know, church banking us to start this thing, it wasn't that way at all. And so when we started this church, it was just this, this humble, seeking the Lord. We're like, you know, we knew, hey, God, God gives us the model for the church in the, books of, in the book of Acts, says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers we're like, well, that will be what we do. We're going to focus on teaching the word of God. We're going to focus on prayer. We're going to focus on, you know, weekly partaking of the Lord's table, taking the bread, taking the cup in communion, remembering what Christ has done for us, keeping that as a centrality of our worship of the Lord and the fellowship, the connection with one another. We knew if we focused on that, God would focus on the increase. We saw it in the book of Acts. Say God added daily to the church, such as should be saved. We knew he would do that, but we knew that an integral part of that was depending upon God. That We were absolutely, totally reliant upon God. So when we were prayerfully saying, what are we going to name this church, having met in our home for Bible study for several weeks, and we're like, okay, now we got a date when we're actually going to start church services. What are we going to call this church? Well, after a lot of prayer and thought and discussion, it was like it's Reliance Church because we are totally relying upon the Lord. If He doesn't show up, we're sunk. And if God adds daily to the church and we get to the place to where, you know, we've got more than a couple of nickels in the bank account and now we've got, you know, some money and some momentum, well, man, you know, you've got the mechanics, you've got the money, you've got the momentum. Well, I don't want to lose the Holy Spirit in the process. I don't want to get to the place to where it's like, you know, if God doesn't show up, we don't know about it because we just sort of got all the I's dotted and the T's crossed. and We're Reliance Church, man. We're going to depend upon the Lord. We're always going to depend upon the Lord because if the Lord doesn't show up, we're sunk. But Laodicea here, man, they are in real trouble. They're immensely prideful. They're spiritually tepid. They're, they're completely blind to their situation, now, to better understand the genesis of how they got here, what, what was it that happened in the interworkings of the Laodicean church that, that they got to the place to where they're just so far off the map to where they should be? Let's look at that, and basically we find the clues to the genesis of their problem in verse 14, just in the start when, when Jesus says, In addressing the angel of the church of Laodiceans, he says, Write this, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of the creation of God. What I want you to see here is there's three titles that Jesus uses to identify himself here in verse 14. The first one is the Amen. The second is the faithful and true witness. And the third is the beginning of the creation of God. Now let's break that down. The title of the Amen. In fact, you might want to circle that word, amen, nearby you could write this. You could write affirmation and certainty. That's what this word means. It's it's a transliteration of a Hebrew word, which means affirmation and certainty. And here's the idea. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I am certain, I am fixed, and I am true. Now hold that thought. Secondly, he says he is the faithful and true witness. In other words, what he's saying is, listen, I'm completely trustworthy, I'm perfectly accurate, and I am always reliable. And so not only is Jesus the amen because of his work, but he's also the amen because of everything that he says is true. That's the point here. Now, Jesus uses a third title to identify himself. He identifies himself as the beginning of the creation of God. Now, that's not to imply... That Jesus is a created being. There are cults today that look to this verse and they cite that as, you know, proof to say, hey, Jesus was created. He is, in fact, not God. That's not what this says. When it says the beginning of the creation of, of God, that word beginning literally means source or origin of creation. It means source or origin of creation. And not only are there cults today that used to say, well, Jesus was a created being, not really God, there were were those that believed in this day and age that Jesus was created. And in fact, we get a clue here that this is how the Laodiceans believed. See, listen to this. Paul's told the Colossians, speaking of, of Jesus being the source of the creation of God, or being the source of the origin of creation, in fact, being God. Paul told the Colossians this, he said, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. In Him all things consist. That." basically means that every molecule in the universe is held together by Jesus Christ. Scientists today, they they don't understand why everything is held together. Basically, the law of physics says that everything should blow apart. And they're like, well, why doesn't everything blow apart? Well, we have the answer right here. It's Jesus. He's holding everything together, which... Blow your mind, think about it, as he's being nailed to the cross, that hand that holds everything together, that Roman soldier nailing that hand to the cross, and simultaneously Jesus in that hand is holding the molecules of that soldier's body together. Absolutely amazing. He's God. He holds everything together. Now, Paul emphasized this point to the, this point to the Colossians because their church was being infiltrated by what's known as Gnostic teaching. And, and basically, Gnostic teaching denied the deity of Jesus Christ, among other things. That, that word Gnosticism, it comes from a Greek word, gnosis, which basically means special knowledge. And folks that held to the Gnostic belief, they believed that they had special knowledge of God. And so there were a lot of people in the Colossian church that, that they thought, hey, we've got this special knowledge about Jesus, and that special knowledge is that Jesus really isn't God, but rather he's a created being. That he's one of a series of emanations from God. And so Paul refuting that to the Colossians going, that ain't true, he is God. And you need to worship him as God, he is not a created Now, it's very likely, and as a matter of fact, it's somewhat probable, that the Laodiceans held this same belief, and that's the reason why Jesus is, is addressing himself and titling himself this way out the gate. He's putting his finger on the problem that, hey, you guys don't worship me as God. Now, why do we make that statement? We have a few clues for that. First of all, this letter to Laodicea here in Revelation chapter 3 has much in common with Paul's letter to to the church of the Colossians. And so there's a there's a lot of, of similarities to it. Second clue is that Laodicea and Colossae were very closely proximated to one another, about 10 miles separating the two. It's, it's kind of like you know Temecula Murrieta. there's there's a there's a proximity there. And so because of that proximity and because Gnosticism was such a big problem in, in Colossae it's easy to, to consider that the same Gnostic teaching, this same uh, uh, you know, uh, heresy that's being taught in Colossae was in fact being taught at, in Laodicea and that the Laodicean church had bought into that. Here's the third and biggest clue, is that, hey, the way Jesus describes himself here in 14, the way he introduces himself to this church, that he's, first of all, the Amen that that he's true that he's fixed that he's unchanging as only god can be secondly that he is his witness that he that he came to die for the sins of mankind is true and and thirdly that you know he's he's god incarnate that you that you look at it you know he says i'm the source of all creation And when you do that, and when you look at that, it becomes very clear that this is what Jesus is addressing here, and that this is the Laodiceans' problem. That they are not placing their faith in Jesus Christ, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but rather, the church of Laodicea placed their faith in themselves. Place their, their faith in their stuff and in their circumstances. And in, in their, you know, their, their faith, if they had to sum it up, they'd say God helps those who help themselves. Which isn't in the Bible, by the way. People quote it as scripture. It is not scripture. But this would be where they're coming from. That, hey, listen, uh, you know, we have this, this, this philosophy of ministry that's completely missing the mark. Listen, at this point, we have to take a walk with this. We have to to say, okay, this isn't isn't just instruction biblically where we're looking historically at the mistakes that the Laodicean church made. No, what we have to do right now is we we have to take a good long look at this, and we have to ask ourselves, listen, what do I place my faith in? What am I placing my faith in? Because they place their faith in their, in their wealth and in their circumstances and in their, 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 their great privilege and so on and in, in this false doctrine that said, you know, basically, hey, Jesus is just, you know, an, an emanation from God. Paul said this to Timothy, it was a warning, he said, know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Listen, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And he warns him, and from such people, turn away. Listen, we have to ask ourselves, does that describe me? Does that describe me? I need to take a walk with this. Do I have a form of godliness? But listen, do my my actions deny his power? Because listen, at the end of the day, you will either be a slave to Jesus or you're going to be a slave to sin. You're either going to be a slave to Jesus Christ or you're going to be a slave to sin. So, So Jesus now, he says to this unsaved church there in verses 15 through 17 that he knows their works and he says... You know, I, I could wish, he says, you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Why? Well, because you say I'm rich. You say I'm wealthy. You say I don't need anything. And, and you don't realize that you're, that you're wretched, that you're miserable, that you're poor, that you're blind, and that you're naked. One of the interesting things about Laodicea as a city, was their water supply. They were rich. They had lots of money. They were really well set off, but they had a really lousy water supply. They basically had two options to get their water. They had two different sources that they, that they piped their water in from. So, so the one source was from uh, uh, Hierapolis. Hierapolis was about seven miles away, and in Hierapolis, they had these hot springs that would bubble to the surface. And so they created this, this water channel, <coughs> like this trough system, to, to have the water flow from Hierapolis into Laodicea. So it comes out of the water, piping hot, and by the time that it gets to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. And not only was it lukewarm, but it's, it's hot spring water, so it's sulfuric, and it's, just, it's got this bitter taste to it. So, they, and, so that was one source of water that came into the city. The other source of the water actually came from Colossae where the Colossians were, and they were famous for these ice-cold springs that would well up, but again, they put it in this above-ground trough system to where now 10 miles this water would flow, comes out of the ground ice-cold, but by the time it gets to Laodicea, it's lukewarm. So, so you got two options. You can, you can get the water from Hierapolis that's lukewarm and is bitter, or you can get the water from Colossae that's lukewarm and is stale because it's been you know flowing in this, in this channel for so far. And so this was their situation. Now, what happens there is that Jesus uses their situation as a metaphor to talk to them about the situation that they're in. He basically says, look, y- y- your spiritual state is just like your water. You're, you're, it's lukewarm. You are lukewarm. And he says to him, look, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Why? Well, because you say I'm rich, because you say I'm wealthy, because you say I have needed nothing, and you don't know that you're wretched, that you're miserable, that you're poor, that you're blind, and that you're naked. I was driving one day in my truck, and um, I, uh, I had a cup of coffee that I was drinking. Now, um, uh. <laughs> so my, cu- my, my truck, I, I paid like 3500 bucks for it like 13 years ago, 12 years ago, whatever it was, and, 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 you know, so the thing's paid for. My wife is telling me all the time, get rid of that. I'm like, no, it's paid for. I mean, you always need a truck, and the beautiful thing about my truck is I can take it to the, to the grocery store, and some kid could run up and nail it with a shopping cart, and I'd, I'd be like, so what? I don't care, you know, so anyway, this is <clears throat> my truck. So, so I'm driving my, my truck, and I, and I go to drink a cup of my coffee. Well, I had an old cup of coffee in there as well. And I take cream in my coffee. And I don't know how long this cup had been in there. It was just foul, I'll say that. So instantaneously, one of the other benefits of my truck is I have no air conditioning. This was during the summer, so the window was down. So I take a drink of this, and instantaneously, I'm just spewing this stuff out of my mouth. I'm just, like, vomiting this stuff out of my mouth. It's like, ah! If you go out and look at my truck today, you will see the stains on my door from this. Now, they're they're not just there because I don't wash my truck, and I never wash my truck. It has been washed and waxed. I can't tell you how long. I loaned it to somebody. They washed it. You know, took pity on me. I'm like, that dirt is holding that thing together. Don't... But the stains are there to this day. I spew this stuff out. Why? Because it was disgusting. And this is what Jesus is saying to this church. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. You're disgusting. Now, understand what Jesus is, is, is calling disgusting here. And, and I'll, I'll explain it this way. He's saying, look, you're lukewarm. And, and, I'm, and, and, and this is your attitude. I'm rich. I've become wealthy and, and, and so on. In John's gospel... In, in John chapter 7, we're told something that Jesus did during the Feast of Tabernacles. Now the Feast of Tabernacles, God instituted it. It was a, it was a time for the Israelites to remember their wanderings in the desert and God's faithful provision for them. That they dwelled in tabernacles as they traveled through the desert and so the people would go out. It was also called the Feast of Booths. People would go out and for, for a period of time they would dwell in booths to remember what was going on. And part of that process was that daily they would pour water out on the ground. And the reason for their pouring the water out was to symbolize God's miraculous provision of water in the desert. And so with this understanding, we read in in John's Gospel, John chapter 7, it tells us there, on the last day, That great day of the feast, and so the whole feast, every day they've been pouring out water, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You see, our souls and our desperate need for cleansing can only be satisfied in Jesus Christ. And as long as we remain self-centered, self-sufficient, and self-satisfied, there's no hope for us. And so what Jesus is saying to this church of Laodicea is, in fact, you're self-centered, you're self-sufficient, you're self-satisfied, your attitude is, I'm rich, I'm wealthy, I have need of nothing... But well, listen, you don't know that you're wretched, that you're miserable, that you're poor, that you're blind, and that you're naked. And so Jesus doesn't say, you disgust me and make me sick. He says, your attitude disgusts me and make me sick because your attitude is gonna kill you. And I'm just and I'm sick over it. Brenda and I, at Christmas time, we like to watch you know, Christmas movies. And We just watched the other night Family Man you know, with Nicolas Cage and Tia Leone. I love that, that movie. The, the premise is there's this guy... And he's rich, he's, he's a stockbroker, he's got, you know, millions of dollars, lives in the best place in New York City, and so on, and all of a sudden this angel shows up and uh, says to him, essentially, what can I do for you? And Nicolas Cage's character, he's like, nothing, I got everything I want. And he goes, man, Jack, you brought this on yourself. And so then he puts him in a situation where he wakes up one day and, you know, this, what, is not the penthouse where he, his life was. He wakes up in some house in New Jersey with a wife and kids and he's working at his father-in-law's tire shop, you know, and, and it's just, he thinks initially that it's hell and then what he, what he recognizes is, no, what I was living in before was an empty life. It was absolutely empty. It was devoid of anything meaningful. He, he cries out to the angel at one point. He's like, man, I was working on a deal, he says, well, you're working on a new deal now, Jack, you know. And, and this guy, what, what is he doing? He's waking him up to this, to this attitude, to this idea, to be able to say, man, you are completely, you're not, where, you're not you know, where, where you should be. Not doing what you should do. So, listen, our souls have a desperate need for cleansing. It can only come from Christ. This is not where Laodicea is coming from. If you're taking notes, we're going to see four things that were lacking in the church of Laodicea. Four things that were lacking in this church. And again, this is not a history lesson. It's a, it's a, it's a, as we look at what was lacking in their lives, we have to prayerfully answer the question and say, Is this lacking in my life? So, number one, they lacked vigor. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. They lacked vigor. In other words, they were complacent. And Jesus describes it this way He says, Look, you're you're lukewarm. I wish you were hot or cold, but you're not hot or cold, you're, you know, you're lukewarm. There are three spiritual temperatures, by the way, and that is hot, cold, and lukewarm. First spiritual temperature, obviously, the person that's hot. That word hot literally means on fire, kind of like this room right now, okay? It's just hot and on fire. And Jesus says, man, I wish you were hot. I wish you, your relationship with me, spiritually speaking that you were alive that you that you had the fervency of a transformed life that that's the way that you were living your life that you're mindful of God that you're mindful of your need of God that that reliance would be the the hallmark of the way that you live your life that I'm relying upon God that I'm hungry to spend time with him that I'm hungry to spend time with his people that I'm that I'm burdened to serve God and his people one of the worship songs we we sing is lord you know, uh, break my heart for what breaks yours. This is the spiritually hot person that's got his finger on the pulse of spiritual things and that is mindful of God and wanting to do that thing. Second type of spiritual condition, spiritual temperature, is the person that's ice cold. Spiritually cold. No desire for Jesus, no desire for his word, no desire for church. (coughs) This is a person that's very far away from God. Now, it's curious here because Jesus says, look, I could wish that you were hot or cold. Now, why would Jesus say that if being cold means that, 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 you, that you have no desire for God? Here's why. Because often the easiest person to reach for Jesus Christ is the one whose ice cold. And the reason for that is because they're aware of their need. They're in the place where they recognize that they're spiritually cold, that they're empty, that, that, and they know it. They don't even, you know, if you're in that state today, I don't even have to argue the point with you. You know that something's missing. Now I use different illustrations, and sometimes I'll use them over again. I've used this one before. My wife will remind me when I, when I hey, you've used that a few times. Like, that, not time to retire that one. I ain't retiring this one because it fits perfectly. It's, it's just Harrison Ford's experience of, of his life, and they're interviewing him and they're saying, you know, hey, how, how are things going? And he basically, in the interview, he goes, you know what, you always want what you ain't got. And the interviewer is like, actor, millionaire, movie star, what ain't you got? Peace. Now, how did he come to that realization? Actor, millionaire, movie star, he got it all, and he realized this, this stuff doesn't satisfy not unlike the woman at the well. Jesus is encountering her. He's like, I mean, you've had five husbands. You're shacking up with a dude now. He ain't your husband. And, and, and you, you, know, you drink from that well, you're going to thirst again. You've, you've drank from all of the different wells. It's not quenching your thirst. You know it and I know it. Jesus didn't even have to argue with this gal. She's like, give me the water that I'm... He goes, if you drink from the, the well that I'll give you, you'll never thirst again. She's like, I'll take that. And so the spiritually cold person realizes, I'm, man, I, I need something. Hey, that something is Jesus Christ. That's, that's what you need. And I, and I would be remiss if we go through this and I don't give you an invitation, an opportunity to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior if you recognize I'm spiritually cold. Maybe you'll, you'll recognize I'm spiritually lukewarm. That's the third type of person. And Jesus says, man, that's the type of person I'm just going to vomit out of my mouth. Here's the problem with the lukewarm person, spiritually speaking. This is the person who doesn't know God well enough to have the life of Jesus in them, but listen, they know about him enough to think that they're okay. That is dangerous. Hey, I don't have Jesus in me, I don't have the life of Jesus in me, but you know what, I know about enough about him that I think I'm okay. You see, they're not really cold because they know about God but they're not on fire for him either. They say things like, eh, you know, me and the man upstairs, we're good. Ah, uh, you know what? Hey, th- throw up a prayer to the man upstairs for me. Their, their, their attitude is, you know what? Eh, uh, yeah, God's cool with me because I'm a decent person, you know. That's a lukewarm person. And it's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Listen, they're like the unbelieving Jews of Jesus' day, of whom Paul said this. He said, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. These people are in a very similar state. They don't realize that they're in the most danger. They're like, eh, I know know about God. As a firefighter, we would watch safety training videos. And one of the videos we watched was a store going up in flames in England. And the amazing thing about this video is that the fire starts as just a little sparking at an outlet... As, and, and you see on this video, this this surveillance video, people walking in the door, and they they walk, and it's just right there by the front there. They walk in, and they notice this thing sparking, and they and they just sort of discount it, and they just keep coming in. They just they they they, they don't even say anything about it. A, a few moments later, somebody else comes in, and now there's a little flame that's starting to go. Again, they just sort of look at it, and they discount it. Well, within moments, this thing goes up and now there's a real problem because the fire spreads so rapidly. Well, there was only one entrance and one exit and it was right there at the entrance and all these people, they just came in. They didn't recognize the urgency of the situation and now they're trapped inside and the whole building goes up in flames. And people do not realize that when you live a lukewarm life, it's the exact same scenario. It is urgent, it is dire, it is desperate, and the sucker's on fire, and you walk in, and you're like, eh. So the church of Laodicea lacks four things. Number one, they lacked vigor. They were complacent. And we have to check our pulse and say, am I complacent? Number two, they lacked values. They lacked values. In other words, they're conceited. Again, I'm rich, I'm wealthy, I have need of nothing. What do you need, Jack? I'm good. No, you need to understand that your life is depraved apart from Christ. Listen very carefully to me. The Laodiceans measured their success by human standards and not by spiritual strength. They measured their their success by human standards and not by the spiritual strength, by spiritual standards. They're a wealthy city. Their wealth gives them a false sense of security. They're like the guy in Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 12 where he says, you know, there's this guy, he's he's got his barns filled up with stuff, he's wealthy, and he says to himself, hey, you know what, I'm good. But I'm going to tear down my barns, and I'm going to build bigger barns so I can get more stuff. And once I fill up those bigger barns, then I'm going to say to my soul, Hey, man, chill. Sit back. Take it easy. You're good. You're fixed. You're set. And Jesus says of this man, fool. You fool. And he goes on to say, he says, for this very night, your soul is going to be required of you. And then, where's your stuff going to be then? Now, I was just looking at this this parable this morning, just reading through it, and what's jumped out to me, what stood out to me, is that the man says in his heart, I'm going to say to my soul, hey, everything's cool. And Jesus says, You want to talk about your soul? I'm taking it tonight. You just trust in your stuff? You're going to put your hope in things, in wells that don't satisfy? Because, because two, two things guaranteed in life, death, death and taxes, and you're going to stand before me, and I'm going to judge you. Every last one of us is going to give an account of our life to, to the Lord. And so, so the Laodiceans, man, they, they equated their physical blessings with spiritual blessings. They're rich in, in spiritual pride, but they're bankrupt in saving grace. And so they lacked vigor. They lacked values. Thirdly, they lacked vision. They lacked vision. Jesus says in verse 17, Hey, you're blind. Now, the irony of this is, is understanding, again, they were famous for this eye salve that they, that they sold all over the world. Hey, you got an eye problem? We got the cure for you, man. We got this little tablet. Mix it with water. Stick it in your eyes, man. It'll fix you up. By the way, the scientists have, have looked at that eye salve that they had, the material, and they've evaluated it, and it's actually worthless. So they're, they're selling, you know, <laughs> this all over the place. Ain't going to fix you. So what Jesus is saying here is he's like, you know what? You who, who, have, who have the cure for everybody's blindness, you're blind. Jesus said if the blind lead the blind, they go over a cliff. Again, it made them rich materially, but it did nothing to give them true vision. Fourthly, they lacked vestment. In other words, they had no covering. And again, Jesus using this illustration, he's like, you know what? You've got this fine black wool. You're making money hand over fist selling this fine black wool. Clothed in in the most splendid attire. You're naked. They got a lot going on, man, but they had nothing that truly mattered. Maybe today you might have to take a look in the mirror there, because you go, well, you know what? On the outside, I got it all together. You look at my life from the outside, and you think everything's cool. Looks good. But inside's a whole different story. Maybe inside today, you're hanging on by a thread. Nobody knows it. So they got a lot going on, but they don't have anything that truly matters. They got banking, they got textiles, they got eye solved to cure all kinds of eye problems, and Jesus says, you know what, no. Banking, yeah, but you're actually poor. Textiles, yeah, but you're actually naked. I salve, great, you're blind. And so Jesus now, he gives them the cure. He says, verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold, refined in the fire that you may be rich, dig at the banking industry, and white garments that you may be clothed, <clears throat> that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Hey, you know what? Black, Fine black clothes, Great. You need white garments because the black clothes cover a black soul. And he says, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Listen carefully. Jesus saying here, and we could spend a day on this one verse. When Jesus loves you, sometimes he brings a belt. Sometimes he orders the events in your life to go really, really harshly. Not because he wants to punish you, but because he wants to to drive you to himself. He says, listen, those that I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Maybe you're being rebuked. Maybe you're being chastened. Maybe you need to understand this morning, and this is God's word for you today, No, your life is not going the way it is because God hates you. Your life is going the way it is because you've made some bad choices and some bad decisions and your heart's in the wrong place and God is chastening you because he loves you. Hear God's voice today. He loves you. And what's the prescription? It's repent. You need to be zealous and you need to repent. You need not to live a lukewarm life where you say me and the man upstairs are good. You need to be zealous. You need to recognize this house is on fire. And I need to repent, I need to turn. Behold, verse 20, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Now, you've heard me quote this verse before, and you'll hear many pastors quote this verse to say this, that Jesus stands at the door of your heart, and he's knocking, and he's saying, let me in. I want to come in. I want to save you. I want to change your life. I want to transform your life. And listen, that is true. And that may be what God is saying to you, but you need to get the full picture here. What Jesus is saying to this entire church is he's saying, look, you are existing as a church and I am not in your midst. I'm outside and I'm knocking on the door. You won't even let me into my own church is what he's saying. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and I sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen to me. The Lord loves you today. He loves you every day. He wants to know you. He wants to have fellowship with you. He wants to save you. He wants to transform your life. And he wants you to let him in. And so when he says there, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, you're like, what is all that about? I'm going to close with this. Put it on the screen for you. It's Isaiah 55. Listen to the words of God. He says, ho, it's a, it's a call. It's a, hey, listen. Everyone who thirsts come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat. You say, well, wait a minute, if I have no money, how can I come buy and eat? He, says, he goes on and says that. He says, yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. He's saying, listen, what you need can't be bought, you can't earn it, there's no way you can get it, the only way that you can get it is without cost or price, because Jesus has paid the cost, he's paid the price, and it's by coming to him on those terms, and recognizing, confessing, that I'm morally, spiritually bankrupt, I got nothing to offer the equation, and I need you desperately, God. He says, verse 2, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen, you're drinking from wells that are never going to satisfy you. Why do you do that? He says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation... And uh, a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God, and listen, and the Holy One Jesus of Israel, for He has glorified you. The Lord loves you. He loves you so much he sent Christ to die on the cross for you. And he does not want you living your life, drinking from the wrong wells, self-centered, self-sufficient, lukewarm in the way that you live your life. He wants you to be absolutely hot on fire for him. And he gives you the invitation today to do that. Now, the primary application here this morning in this, the focus on the church of Laodicea is a group of people that thought they had a relationship with God, but were in fact unsaved, unregenerate, unrepentant in their sin. It's primarily written to an unbelieving church. And so there is an invitation this morning to anybody here who has to answer this question and say, am am I truly trusting in Christ for my salvation, or do I have a form of godliness, but I've really denied the power? Do I need to come to Jesus this morning? I'll give you that invitation. But an ancillary application is for every Christian to say, have I I got my foot off the gas and am I starting to coast? Is my life kind of lukewarm in the sense that, man, I I got sort of the, the God trappings in my life. There ain't no fruit.